Nation. That's our podcast. You said that pretty good. Um. Yeah. Welcome to the spiritual involution. David, Hi. David Hi. was just asking what we're going to talk about, and so we haven't even discussed that. We're just going no, I literally just walked into our house and, and cut myself a slice of, what is it, vegan pizza? Vegan cauliflower pizza. Cauliflower crust. Of which he said it was amazing, and I thought something's off with his taste. It actually is pretty amazing, and the sauce reminds me of a of a high end chef boyardee. Remember spaghettios? Do you remember? High end chef boyardee. High end. Oh. That means not out of the can. It's out Mm. of out of the freezer. (laughs) Mm. Well. So today. Whatever makes you happy, David. I love being in this house, friends. I am. I'm drinking a. I'm guessing it's some kind of matcha tea with tea coconut milk every and time. cinnamon. And today my cup says Katie's place. Because you're in my place. But, no, oh, but normally I got... What is Usually it? you get the sexy mama. Sexy mama. Mug, but that one's dirty. So mm. Actually our dishwasher's been down for like two weeks. So we've been washing everything by hand. Oh. So that's been fun. Actually it hasn't been that much harder than having a dishwasher. Uh, but anyway. Mm. So... Um, yeah, we wanted to discuss. Let's talk about the silent retreat. The silent retreat. Does that work for you? That works for me. I also, well, it kind of ties into the silent retreat, but uh, I wanted to Is mention. This on? Yeah, it's just for some reason it's not like following the tracks of our voice. There it is. Oh, okay. Um, I wanted to mention you brought it up actually originally at the end of the silent retreat, and then you made it into your sermon on Sunday about the I am the third commandment yes and I really like that and I thought for some of us who don't go to the church or weren't at the silent retreat perhaps could use that bit of knowledge because I think it's just a a really nice thing to hear and think about Um, yeah we could start with the silent retreat what were what were your thoughts on it was it different than the last you had said you'd done three now before I really enjoyed this one so is this your fourth it was or my third. Your third. It's my third. And did you like feel this one was different in any way than the others? Yeah, the last two, um, my co-facilitator Jennifer, actually she's really my boss when it comes to these things. Jennifer is a mother of twin teenage males. She's um, married. She's a kindergarten teacher. She is a rock star, superhuman being. Like you, Katie Burke. She's superhuman she's, being. She's far more super. And super. she, um, she told me that the last two retreats they were not really silent retreats; they were nonverbal retreats, mm-hmm. and that's not the same. And so this this particular one, I set off to to set up theory, and theory was uh, to be silent. And for me, being silent also means no visual. Uh, physical communication and for me that's mostly always eye contact yeah so I in the very beginning said let's avoid eye contact if we can and 24 hours later I regretted that I had suggested that (laughs) because I felt um, I started to feel alone and lonely yeah I had a very strong feeling of that and I think I was wondering I wanted to ask you why is that something every silent retreat does is that like a known silent retreat etiquette or is this something we about no eye contact yeah i just made it up i think it caused me (laughs) um, more turmoil where i i think i totally get the idea of where what i picked up was the other times that there was 
like verbal, almost like sign language happening. Like, hey, you want to go over here? You know, totally. Dinner, but, dinner time was giggling and but is writing there, notes. Is there a space between that and then when you're passing someone walking, just acknowledging them with a smile and then keep walking? Like, like I see you, you're there. Because what I felt like is I know you're there, but I'm <laughs> awkwardly like trying to pretend you're not there because I don't want to insult your uh, silentness. Uh, <laughs> And so it felt kind of like a, a weird reversal of communication. Like I'm communicating by not communicating and it's then getting in the way of my internal uh, being. So I didn't know, I didn't know if I just sucked at that or that was just something. Um, <laughs> I, I felt like when we talked about it at the end, everyone had such a great experience and that I was maybe the only one who felt like it was hard. No, don't you remember then? The night before we broke silence, I could hardly stand it. And I just reached out and held someone's hand and then she held someone's hand and pretty soon all of us were holding hands. And then um, physical contact, like we were hugging. And then people started crying out loud. Do you remember that? Well, I remember. I didn't know if that was planned. No, like it wasn't planned. That you do I, was just, I was just sitting in that circle, feeling starved for human connection. And I think because you're kind of the leader, you're the, the preacher that you could do that. I would have wanted to do that, but I would never have been, I don't think I was in a place that could have taken that initiative to start that chain reaction, which I think everyone no, you would have been, needed. You would have been um, probably uncomfortable. Right, and then- I wasn't even sure if I was gonna get in trouble for doing that. Oh. I didn't want to look at Jennifer, <laughs> but I'm usually pretty good at reading a room. Yeah. Yeah. And the room was hungry for that. And it was the perfect thing. And it, in an odd way, was a, a spiritual lesson for me, maybe the biggest one on how much we do need each other. Uh, you know, even though it was a silent retreat that was about looking inward, that moment specifically feels the strongest because it was like we deprived. It's like when you don't eat sugar for a long time and you finally have that candy bar and you realize how good it is. Yeah. It felt like, wow, because I'm an introverted person who doesn't like a lot of touch, you know, I'm not a big hugger, but that hand holding felt like a candy bar. Like, yeah. thank God I can I feel was... some people and not be awkwardly trying to pretend I don't feel people. So it was... Cool. It was really cool to feel that. Actually. It was a cool, organic moment. I just returned, like I came straight from San Francisco to here for this this time with you. I was at a, a fundraiser for the Pachamama Alliance. Pachamama? Pachamama. Pachamama is a word used by the Quechua people and some other um, indigenous people in the Andes. Um in Peru and Ecuador. And Pachamama is um, the Mother Earth and the sky and the stars. It's uh, uh, Mother Nature, let's say, for lack of a better word. And, and they are an organization that exists to protect the sacred um, headwaters of the Amazon. Mm. Because the Amazon um, okay, what is headwaters? Headwaters is where out? it's where the 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 Amazon really begins. Okay, that the mighty river begins with lots of tributaries uh, high up in the mountains, and that area has been slated by um, oil companies and mining companies to extract things from the earth, and in a little further north in Ecuador, 
there are areas that have been ruined by um, by the uh, contamination and the rivers that are destroyed and um, environments are destroyed by by what we extract. Anyway, there at this particular fundraiser, they the woman who was uh, talking to the group, she was describing that in this digital age where so much of our connection is virtual, she doesn't want us to forget human touch. So she said, just everyone just reach out and touch someone at the table. Mm. And, so, and there were thousands of people at this event and the room got very quiet. And they weren't holding hands, they were like hand to shoulder. Right. And, and suddenly the room just brightened. It was a stunning moment, sweet yeah. moment. Not only, uh, my mind's going not only to the digital age, but there is some sort of sentiment going on, and I'm thinking about just politics now and this fear of a touch meaning something maybe that it's not anymore. I'm thinking of Joe Biden getting in all that trouble because he's like a hugger. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if even that's pushing us away a little bit more too. Mm. But I think human touch is undervalued. I don't remember who told me this, but somebody had mentioned that uh, older women, you know, often widows, they enjoy the salon time when they go get their hair to be touched uh, by other people. And yeah. I thought, oh, that's sort of sad, but makes a lot of sense. Did you ever see the movie Amelie? Yes. Was that in there? Well, there's, a, there's a scene in Amelie where her mother and father were so uh, meticulous and cerebral, and she just loved to be touched. But her father never took her to a doctor. He acted as doctor for her. And every time he tested her heart rate by, by putting on the stethoscope and, and listening to her heartbeat, she was so excited to be touched that her heart was just palpitating. Oh. So she was diagnosed by her father as having a heart disease. Oh. So just, her, she was just excited. She was just happy to be, to be touched by her dad. Oh. It's a sweet moment in the movie. That is sweet. So what other lessons did you learn about... Or through being silent? I was moved. Oh, I juxtaposed to what we just talked about when I was in the room and I felt starved for a human connection. Juxtapose that with I thrive when I've got my own tiny little monk room with a tiny little bed and I had a neon glow in the dark crucifix in my room, a plastic glow in the dark crucifix. <laughs> And a toilet, uh, a toilet and a sink and a shower that was probably circa 1940. And there was n clearly no insulation in the room. It was cold and frosty and quiet, like very ascetic. And I found myself quite calm and peaceful and happy. It was interesting being silent around others. It was the hardest thing. Right. Silent by myself was pleasant. Did you get out to the grounds a lot? Did you walk around a lot? No, not mm -hmm. much at all. I found that to be my happiest moments too, was walking in silence in nature because it was this beautiful resort as a Jesuit center, but it's yeah. on what I think I remember him saying 20 acres, Some big something number. like large. And I just felt that it was this really unique combination of obviously Jesus, a lot of Jesus, Mary figures, spiritual symbolisms but embedded in nature and i always thought nature was my church and yeah. so it just seemed really beautiful to walk through it like that and um even a spot that was even farther away where i thought all the spiritual relics would be gone more of a, a hike 
I went down and there was this little path and this little kneeling altar made of wood and a rock where you could kneel and pray to Jesus, which was a statue out in the middle of nowhere of Jesus. Wow. And I thought, oh, that's just so amazing, (laughs) you know? Um, It was uh, beautiful and interesting to be silent during that walk and that experience. And I liked the room too. The minute I walked in, I thought, is this what nuns is this, a, is this how nuns live? It felt very nun-like. Probably. probably. That was my thought, too. <laughs> Interesting, though, in the depths of the awkwardness of how I felt or, or the loneliness, you know, that there was a few moments where I felt like, oh, I'm, I think I might just go home. <laughs> like I, I wonder if anybody would notice if I went missing. Yeah. Like, I, and, and then I thought, wow, this is pathetic. I'm, this is such a short amount of time. <laughs> how do I feel like this? I mean, they weren't very long, but... I thought about people in solitary confinement, and I thought, what a horrific experience to imagine being in a room that's dark. You know, here I am able to walk these beautiful grounds, and I still feel this isolation and locked inside your own head with your own thoughts, and I'm a fairly balanced person. I just had this outpouring of empathy and sorrow for any prisoner that was locked in solitary confinement. Wow. I was like, that's... I feel like I'm going crazy a little bit, and I've only done this for a day. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. I don't... Uh, so it made me... That's where my mind went for about 20 minutes during some part. And then at the flip side, I went through really uh, intense feelings of euphoria, like amazing feelings of connection with with the internal being and, and spirit. So it felt... Uh, Jennifer said... It, it feels bipolar. She she said it was because my kids are so young, and this is the first time I've really separated from them in an, in a way like this, probably, which is true. Even though I did the AIDS ride, yeah. that was so much noise and people and connection. But this might have been the first time that I was alone, alone without a human actually like attached to me in some way. And she said when she had done this in that time of her life she felt very similar to how I explained and she said it felt like kind of bipolar and I thought yeah it felt very bipolar very up and down bipolar how well like here I am thinking of solitary confinement and wanting to run and then on the other side half an hour later I'm like wow I'm at one with the universe <laughs> what it was like crazy mm-hmm. feeling a little bit um yeah I have a friend named Jim and Jim sent me an email that got my attention. I'm probably going to need to pursue this more and maybe even talk about it on Sunday. But the article is called, Forget Working Hard, Try Resting Hard. Mm. And the article is describing getting up at 5 in the morning, working out daily, paleo, bulletproof, gluten-free, cold showers, check. Build a business, start a side hustle, dominate Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Yep, check. Um, What he doesn't understand is how come nobody ever talks about rest? Mm -hmm. As in relaxing and doing nothing and getting a good night's sleep. That stuff's important too. And that kind of goes back to our last podcast about silence, that negative space, right? That, That pause between breath. Inhale, oh, yeah, exhale. The gap. It's the rest. It is a needed, a needed thing that uh, is really an act of love for yourself, right? To just rest. 
and, and let all the chores and things that kind of always feel like they're on your shoulders. It's hard to just take them off for a second and pick them up later. Mm. Do you feel that? I do. And I don't have any empirical data to back this up, but, and maybe it's just the crowd in which I find myself. But there seems to be a lot of people who are filled with anxiety, anxiety and fear. Like, like that's become the new norm. It's interesting you bring that up because I was thinking about that as a topic today, actually. What? Anxiety and fear? But the collective feeling, and I don't know if it's just the circles I'm running with or the age I'm at or something, but I feel like I'm noticing a visceral feeling of a collective consciousness that's afraid. Like, afraid of our president, afraid of climate change, afraid of this issue, afraid of uh, letting your kid walk down the street by himself, afraid of our, I'm afraid of my food now. I'm just, is everything I'm doing toxic? You know, everything feels full of fear. And in, in the science of mind, right, that holds a lot of weight, our collective thought. So are we creating the very thing that we're afraid of, Hmm. you know? Hmm. It's a good question. I think it's a very good question. I don't I don't even know where to take the question to well, just notice it. What I wanted to bring up was something that I don't know if you said or Reverend Susan told me you said, but you have a saying called reverse paranoia. Ah, uh, practice reverse paranoia. Oh my god, something wonderful is about to happen. Right. Do, Do you, you know where that came from? No. <laughs> <laughs> well actually I had I had I had been talking about um practicing reverse paranoia. So when something goes wrong, instead of going with it, um, maybe pronounce to yourself, oh my God, something wonderful is about to happen. And later that week, when I spoke about that from the pulpit, that was, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I had, uh, we were at the Delta, and, and uh, we had just returned, it was the 4th of July, we had guests on our boat. It was late at night. Um, the The marina was closed. We had to tie up our boat to the dock, and then the marina people would take it out for us in the morning. Typically, they take it out in the daylight while we're there. And as our guests and Mao and I were getting out, um, the key for our German automobile, you know, one of those key fobs, it's not like an old time key Mm -hmm. that goes in an ignition switch. The the fob fumbled out of my hand and went twirling in the air, like in slow motion. And then plop, it went into the water and it disappeared. And it was dark too. It was dark. Dark and the water in the Delta is, it's like mud. I mean, the key's (laughs) gone. And the woman behind me went, oh my God, something wonderful is about to happen. Well, that is spiritual practice right there. And I was filled with terror because I knew we were out at Discovery Bay, which is a good hour and a half from the house. And 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 uh, you can't call a locksmith to come out and give you one of those key fobs. And that meant um, having somebody take us to a train or taking a cab. And it, it turned out to be a real test in the relationship. So did but, something wonderful occur from it? I'm sure it will someday. I'm still waiting for that. Still waiting. Well, that's a crazy story, but I like, I remember when, I think it was Susan who told me that you said that I liked it and I, I could immediately tell where it came from. 
Speaking you, you of know, you know breaking. Was, yeah, that was me. That was your phone. That was me, yeah. Something wonderful. Something <laughs> happened here. It happened. Thank you. Uh, but why are we so quick to kind of jump down the dark side? It's such an easy route to take. We've been trained. Yeah. Don't you remember when, don't you remember when um, we learned when the planes hit the Twin Towers and the Pentagon and crashed on the fields of Pennsylvania, that their aim was to create fear in people. Yeah. So it's not so much that terrorism got us, but our reaction to terrorism. And it's actually created a whole fear industry. Like, like there are people who are hired to make us feel like we're being safe. I was just watching, I was just watching an, uh, a comedian. She was a, it was in Guadalajara, Mexico, a Mexican comedian. And she's describing her experience of going through like 12 or 26 different checkpoints at the airport. And I know in the U.S. we have one, maybe two. Uh, but, but in Mexico, it's not uncommon to go through several because the people who are now the checkpoint for you, you'll say, well, wait, I just went through a checkpoint. They go, no, we don't trust them. They're idiots. Yeah. So. I'm not kidding. It's fascinating. But she was describing that now some of the people who are there as security, they, you know, they might be the, the differently abled. So let's say they're in a wheelchair. And so the woman says, you mean you're the only one, like you in the wheelchair, you're going to stop me from going into this airport? And she says, all I have to do is take the handles of your wheelchair and sort of wheel you aside and just keep walking. I'm, I'm telling you this because we have the impression that we're being kept safe. But I don't know if we really, I mean, really. Do you feel safer because of TSA? No. Do you feel safer because of... I get this impression that we're always striving to create a sanitary world on all levels. You know, free of murder, free of disease, free of this, free of that. Germs. Everything. And I think at some point... Foreigners. Yeah, there's a um, the other party, and it can be heightened so easily and manipulated to be way bigger than it ever needed to be through the media, through social media. It just takes, you know, one little twist of this of the orchestra, right? And it's the biggest news story out there, and it really d didn't need to be much at all. Did you see the movie V for Vendetta? Oh, I just watched that on, on the 5th of November. Remember, remember, it. the 5th of November. Yeah. There's something so, treason and plot. It was a great movie. So for those of you who are joining us uh, virtually, the movie V for Vendetta stars, she was the black swan, what was her name? Um, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. And it is a movie that's ironically probably 10, 12 years old but it's so poignant right now. It describes a future world in which the United States is gone. We presume it's because of terrorism or some dark act. And we're in, we're in a futuristic Britain. And there is a, um, it's a, uh, a government state. It's a, 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 the state runs everything. So people are no longer free. And everybody's television in their house is wired to the national broadcasting system where they're constantly pumping bad news and fearful uh, things you should be afraid of. And the point is, it's how the government controls people. If you keep them very, very scared, they will not act on their own. Mm -hmm. And 
And anytime something bad happens, there was a governmental spin organization that actually created um, news that supported the government's point to keep people afraid. Yeah. It's a really amazing movie. It's eerily... Uh, it's Accurate with today's world? I see so many parallels. And again, I don't know if it's today's world or I'm just noticing it more. I have to think social media has heightened this feeling. I mean, it's a, uh, a double-edged sword. On one hand, people can connect and we can go underground and disseminate information that they're hiding or, th you know, different views. But then on the other hand, they can manipulate that as well, plus the control of the main new media sources. It's, yeah, it's very hard to um, really take a step back and look at it more objectively and try not to initially go for the fear. Like if they're selling the fear, purposely step back and ask why. You know, why are they selling the fear? Is it... Is it something that's really fearful? And, and there's sometimes maybe there is a, a value in being afraid if there's an action required. But on other times, it does seem like there's something more to it. There's something, an agenda that's there and, uh, and what it is. But I guess going full circle, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that environment and how to be a counterpoint to that environment, maybe through the uh, reverse paranoia that we don't need to be this fearful. We need to trust that we are here on this planet to work together and that most of us are good. We're all good. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I don't want to feed the, I don't want to feed the fire. So how not to feed the fire? And uh, sometimes the fire feels like in our silent meditation, I felt like the fire is in me. Like yeah. I am, in my silence, I am feeling the media in my head almost. I'm feeling yeah. the stories. I'm feeling the fear. And that shouldn't be in me. <laughs> A very simplistic view for me, but it's, it's really simplistic. And for you scientists and smart people listening, forgive me. But it helps me sometimes. So biologically, I am an animal. I'm a, an organic thinking speaking, feeling, moving, being. And I have a very early, early developed, all my, you know, countless generations back, my ancestors developed a fight or flight mechanism. It's just for survival. And most of my fight, I have actually have fight or flight show up every day now. And it was really designed like if you run into a saber-toothed tiger. Right. But I'm constantly responding to the world like there's a saber-toothed tiger in my kitchen or in my car or in the bathroom mm -hmm. or in my fight with my spouse or fill in the blank. I'm, my body is reacting like there's a saber-toothed tiger. So this is why um, this current stage of my life, I keep telling myself, slow down, slow yeah. down, slow down, slow down, Sparky, <laughs> slow down. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, I, I like that. Have you seen The Joker yet? No, have you seen it? We just saw it um, last week. We got a babysitter and John and I went out to see it. And I bring it up because it also gave me and John 
a very odd feeling about the collective consciousness. It, it, feel, it felt like a movie of our times, like they're speaking to a darkness that's prevailing mm -hmm. in our moment. And it was a beautifully done movie. Very dark. It was amazing, though. Um, what's his name? The actor in that. He's got to win something for it. Heath Ledger? Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, it's a because Heath Ledger was the old Joker, right? He's the one that passed away yeah, before the movie away. came out. He was also a great Joker. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it's not like a, a Batman Joker movie that you're used to. It's no. like a, um, a sad, insightful look at mental illness. Yeah. Like, it's all about the mental illness of the Joker. But then under all of that is this powerful movement to free from this tyranny of the um, the government, basically, that's running everything. So it's this layered upon layers of, of part of the fabric of society right now that's really disturbing. And John was worried that it would instill almost a powerful sense in people to do more disturbing things. And I thought it was more... You know how they say, what's that common saying? Does art depict life or does life depict art? Mm -hmm. I think life is depicting this movie. Like, I think this is just a movie that's representing what's existing. And he might be thinking that it's going to depict life. Like, it's going to help depict life. Did that make sense? I got it. So, I yeah, I would urge you to watch it and tell me what you think. But, uh, yeah, again, it... it it was just one of those movies that kind of leave feeling irky inside. Yeah. But it's good. Like if something can make you feel something that powerfully, then it's it's a good movie. Just not going to make you. Happy. Yeah, I, I, I heard it's it's a very well done movie that's not easy to watch. Yeah. But has value in watching. Yeah. But and also another disturbing thing was I don't know, but. Trying not to judge people here, but I'm totally judging people. There was a two-year-old in front of us. At the movie theater? Yes. Watching that? Yes. Wow. I was, I was, I mean, part of me was more irked because everything I saw that was making me feel nauseous inside, I'm thinking, I hope the two-year-old's not picking up on this. But I mean, people were shot right in the face and it's, it's brutal. Uh, I just was kind of shocked that uh, a two-year-old, a two-year-old was brought into that movie. But anyway, that has no relevance to our points here. I don't even know if Joker really had a relevance. I guess the fear. It's, again, that just underlying, almost like a film, like a, a sticky layer is covering the way everyone's thinking right now. Yeah. Watch, um, again, those, those of you virtually with us right now, watch V for Vendetta. V for Vendetta. It's a good watch. And slow down. Slow down. Slow down. And ask yourself, is this really a saber-toothed tiger? Right. Or am I making this up? And this is one of the values of a spiritual practice, whatever yours is. Whether it's being in silence at a retreat, or learning how to make the perfect cup of tea, mm -hmm. or cauliflower crusted pizza. Mm. That was pretty good. Yes. Did I tell you it reminds me of like a high-end Chef Boyardee? Yeah, you did. And I'm not sure if that's a compliment. Do you remember or SpaghettiOs? Not. Do you remember? I do. I loved alphabet soup too. Oh, I never had alphabet soup. Mm. It was good. Not as thick as SpaghettiOs. SpaghettiOs was its own now special kind of. Now I can't even of... think of it. What? Of eating that stuff. Just 
grosses me out. It kind of is kind of gross, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, and the raviolios. Okay, let's stop. Okay. <laughs> that was the height of American me, processed food. To me, that's the saber-toothed tiger. It's oh. in that stuff. Okay. So I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Drink my organic tea. Well, maybe next time. I, whatever. Wh- what is it you listening want us to talk about? Yeah. I'd like to. I'd like to know. I'm not sure how we're going to title this one. Um, one saber tooth tigers. Saber tooth tigers. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Oh, I did have a quote from your sermon. Oh, what? And it kind of is. Oh, well, we never talked about the third yeah, commandment. We'll have to do that. Third commandment less next time. Um, you said, and I don't know if you made this up. You probably, you know, probably somebody else said it, but maybe you made it up anyway. If you really, really knew who you were, you would be mm. afraid of nothing. Yeah, it's like um, that's a paraphrase from the Course in Miracles. If you knew who walked beside you, you could not be afraid. So that's something to keep in mind too when you're feeling mm. that a saber-toothed tiger is with you. Mm. It's not really with you. Something else is with you. All right. Till next time. Bye. Ta-ta.